Welcome to Enough, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mandy Leto, executive coach and recovering overachiever and perfectionist. This show is for anyone whose life looks successful and shiny on the outside, but inside, you've got this gnawing self-doubt and secret feelings of not enoughness, which you try to cover up with all your impressive achievements and maybe a couple of shiny things. You're tired, fed up, and you're wondering how long can this go on? If that's you, you're in the right place and I'm so glad you're here. In today's episode, you're going to learn how you can help yourself if you're working for a boss who's beyond challenging. You know the ones. You've tried working harder, you've tried working smarter, but it doesn't seem to be helping. In fact, you're feeling more undermined, picked at, and your already loud inner critic now has a megaphone and an extra soapbox. So you're at your wit's end as to how you can improve the situation. Enter Dr. Laura Crawshaw, who has been researching and coaching abrasive leaders for more than 40 years. She's the author of Taming the Abrasive Manager, How to End Unnecessary Roughness in the Workplace, and her clients range from the UN to NASA, so you're in great hands. I'm curious if people who are already really hard on themselves are somehow more susceptible to the damage that an abrasive leader can do. Maybe because it's so normal to internalize everything and to take it personally and to see yourself as the problem when there is one and to try to keep trying harder. That's the solution to everything, right? Throw yourself even harder at the problem. So Laura delves into this, which I think is super interesting. You'll also learn about what the abrasive leader is usually afraid of Mm. and how to check in with yourself to avoid what I call the boiling the frog effect. In other words, when the situation gets incrementally worse and because it's so gradual, you start losing touch with how toxic and dysfunctional the workplace situation has actually become. Then we close off by you learning some actions in which you can start reclaiming your power. So I drop us right into the conversation where Laura's explaining to us what an abrasive leader actually is. Ready? Let's go. An abrasive leader is an individual who holds some sort of authoritative position whose behavior rubs people the wrong way. And that friction can range from minor irritation to deep deep wounds and injury. And I like that term because it holds certain characteristics. Number one is that we can all be abrasive. We've all had our moments in life when we behave in ways that cause distress in others. But with these individuals, it's chronic. And in most cases, it's very severe. And it's also a term that can be used with employers. Because if you start talking about to employers about, do you have bully bosses? Or is this person a bully? Uh, they tend to recoil. But if you ask them, is this person abrasive? That's the way to have opened the conversation. So that's that's a term I've been using for many, many years. So you've had a run-in with an abrasive boss. Next, Laura's gonna explain how it can feel and what our instinctive response might be when we first experience abrasiveness from this kind of person. She shares why overachievers and people with perfectionistic tendencies might be especially susceptible. So often we find ourselves in places where we are valued. And and that does 
carry out. And it's, it's so valuable to us to have that experience. But when we go into the workplace and we're devalued, when we're attacked, aggressed, I think the, the first shock is, why is this happening to me? And so the first focus is me. What's going on with me? Am I failing? Did I make a mistake? Um, am I lacking competence? Um, you know, what, what can I do to, to fight this and, and to be perceived positively? And the sad fact is that anybody who attacks you in the workplace, anybody who displays aggression like that, it's, the important thing is to understand what's going on with them. And these bosses may look powerful, you know, confident, uh, et cetera, but underneath that is insecurity. They are afraid of being perceived to be less than competent. And anything that threatens that perception, if you're a little slow on something or if you haven't, you know, gotten the skills up to, up to par quite yet, uh, that stirs all sorts of anxiety in them. And they go into what I call fight mode. There's fight or flight. They go into fight mode. And so I think the first reaction for so many people is shock. I couldn't believe he said that to me. I couldn't believe she treated me that way. Then there's immediately reflexive thinking about me and what did I do and how can I correct this? And we see this same syndrome with abused spouses, with abused children. You know, I must have done something wrong. And so so I think many times, if, if I'm someone who wants to be very competent, if I'm very achievement oriented, I'll respond to this as a challenge instead of an assault. And I think that's, that's where the harm really begins right there, um, where we have to turn ourselves into a person that we're not, where we have to abandon who we are and strive to be who they want us to be. So it's sad and it's, it's terrible. And I think their different populations are vulnerable. For instance, those of us who grew up in loving, supportive families, you know, where we could converse and work through issues when we go into that kind of situation, it's, it's a shock. You know, I, I thought I was okay. And now I'm being told I'm not. So there must be something wrong with me. I think also people who have suffered abuse in their earlier years who were uh, many times people are perfectionistic going into adulthood because they're striving to compensate for messages from the parents that you're not good enough. You know, you're not good enough unless you get the top grades or sports or whatever. So, so that's where your value lies. So we go into the workplace wanting to display all of that value and then it's rejected. And it has nothing to do with who we are and everything to do with the person who's the aggressor. In the previous episode, Dr. Mark Golston talked about how psychological adhesions can form at an early age when our needs, including our emotional needs, aren't met. A child can find that achievement is a way to get love and validation and also to avoid criticism. So this concept reminds me of Freud's repetition compulsion that I learned in university psychology many, many moons ago. And yeah, don't worry if textbook psychology ain't your jam. Stick with me for a moment. I think you'll find this fascinating. I asked Dr. Laura to explain repetition compulsion and how it might be playing out for someone who is working with an abrasive boss. 
Freud was initially a biologist and he observed animal behavior and then he observed human behavior. And essentially he identified the concept that we all have anxiety all the time. It's a natural state of things, just like animals have anxiety. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of being killed or, you know, <laughs> losing, losing the relationships that they have. And as humans, uh, he felt the two greatest fears are uh, annihilation and abandonment that, that, psychological annihilation as well, which is what we face when we go into the workplace and we're not loved, we're, we're reviled or threatened uh, in some way. And so what can happen is, particularly if, if this occurred in one's childhood, it can sort of calcify into a, a repetition compulsion of I'll get it right this time. You know, my father never thought I was good enough, but I'll get it right this time with this boss of mine. I'll show that I'm good enough. And so this, this terrible cycle of trying to prove what happened, you know, trying to correct the earlier dramas in childhood, uh, they get carried forward. And, and what happens is people abandon themselves and allow themselves to be abused. And it's so sad uh, that they kept keep reenacting these cycles. Um, so the key really is to to come to value oneself and love oneself. And if if you're being treated badly in the workplace, how am I going to take care of myself? And and I'm worth more than this. I'm worth being treated better than I'm being treated. People should be able to go to work and just do the work and be treated respectfully. I mean, that's that's the way it should be. But no, sometimes we set ourselves up because of what we bring in from our childhood. So, you know, I'm going to prove to them that I'm worthy, even though my father never saw me that way or my mother always undermined me. This time, this is my opportunity. And sometimes it is. Sometimes we go to work and have wonderful experiences and it's great. But sometimes we encounter some somebody who is abrasive, who engages in bullying behaviors. And that's when I hope the alarm bells go off in terms of self-care and self-compassion. So repetition compulsion, or even awareness of the psychological adhesions, to use Mark Golston's term, that might have underpinned that repetition compulsion, that stuff is not conscious insofar as I understand it. So thinking back on some of the abrasive bosses or colleagues that I worked with, I was never consciously thinking, oh, right, here I am operating on old patterns. Like this is all my not enoughness and my fear of being unworthy and unlovable. This is all playing out here. And I'm going to work myself to the bone to show that I am worthy, even to my own demise, to the brink of burnout. I will prove you all wrong. <laughs> No, it doesn't really work like that, as I understand it. So Laura's going to explain to us that it's natural to try to protect oneself when there's a feeling of threat. And those protective impulses can show up as fight, flight, or in my case, fawn. So Laura asks me, how did I experience working for an abrasive boss? What were some of the signs? I'm talking here about my story, but I'm an invitation for you to listen from your past or from what might be going on for you at the moment. Do any of these coping skills sound familiar? May I ask, how did you experience it? What, how consciously, how did you experience that situation? I could see that this person was being abrasive with some of my team members. So 
part of it was just like, I, I caught on very quickly that, oh, I need to, again, this happens under the radar. It's not like I made a bullet point list, you know, fawn with boss, get close with boss. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was that conscious, but I thought as a, if I think about what I, what I was probably thinking under the surface was I need to become an ally to this person and become kind of air quotes special that that will buy me immunity from this behavior, which of course it, doesn't. And I ended up just getting used by this individual as a kind of a mole and a source of information and everything else. And the resentment builds up then when there's microaggressions, but there was definitely that fawning and, and really bending over backwards to try to develop a special relationship. That was one thing. Uh, Is that something that you see? So if I can kind of put this into the way I see the world, when any organism perceives a threat, it feels fear. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And the basic defenses are fight or flight. All right. So we see that in the animal kingdom, but we see that in the psychological realm. So in this case, you you could see that this boss was aggressive with other employees. You perceived this person as a threat. And your, your instinctual response is, am I going to fight or am I going to flee? All right. And now you mentioned kind of this third one, which is I'll fawn. I'll try and ally myself with this person. But it's all in the interest of defending oneself, of protecting oneself, of being safe. And in doing that, you held out hope that if I am perceived as not as a threat by this person, if this person perceives me as an ally, then things will go well. And unfortunately, my guess is that boss was so insecure that it was impossible for them to see you as an ally and the aggression continued. So the, the, the response you're describing Andy, is very natural. It's very normal when we perceive a threat, you know, it's fight flight or perhaps fawn. And uh, it's not so easy to flee a great job as far as salary position responsibilities. And, and to do so for many people, they view it as a failure you know, I, I failed, I, I couldn't cut it. And that's really sad, because nobody should cut being abused. Nobody should subject themselves to that. Do you think it's also a little bit of what I call the boiling the frog phenomena that when someone's in a situation, and it's chronically bad, and it's not only necessarily bad with you as an individual, because you can see this abrasive boss being abrasive with other people as well. So there's right. all those water cooler conversations and the right. eye rolls and like that scene in the devil wears Prada with that, mm-hmm. gird your loins, she's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not necessarily only one person. So there is a bigger phenomenon at play, right? So there's this boiling the frog phenomena that maybe it's not actually that bad because it's just like the heat is getting turned up degree by degree by degree that it might take someone else to point out how bad it's become because we can 
become accustomed to the WTFness of a situation right. without actually realizing. Is that a phenomenon as well? Absolutely. You know, the frog, the water temperature goes up and ultimately uh, the frog's boiling. And I think we can go into a work environment where we see this and, uh, you know, we and, and it'll oftentimes be written off as, well, that's the way Bob is, or well, watch out for Mary, you know, she can really, you know, rip into people. And so we sort of feel like, okay, I've been warned, I've been prepared, and, and I'm going to work really hard. And, and I'm going to, as you perhaps be an ally, or I'm going to be perceived positively, I'm not, that's not going to happen to me. And then over time, it does. And, uh, you know, I think many times we, uh, we, we maybe uh, don't deal with it. Well, she had a bad day or, well, yeah, I was a little slow at this or, well, we aren't making the profits. And so we rationalize this person's aggression in the interests of our own survival until in, in doing that, we constantly abandon ourselves. We constantly say, you know, I, I should tolerate this or I'm not worth treating respectfully. And it can be very gradual until finally we boil or it boils over or we deteriorate. I think in your interview with Megan Carl, she talked about how it was just progressive and it grew over time and she worked harder and harder to kind of deal with it and, and to, to keep things stable and to manage her survival until it hit a breaking point. Laura just mentioned Megan Carl, Nike's former head of basketball for North America, whose mental and physical health were on the brink while she was working for an abrasive boss. Three different ones, in fact, who turned out to be bullies. If you haven't already listened to Megan's powerful story, check her out on episode 31. I'm curious if this gradual effect was happening for her too. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Just a minute. Hello? Mandy, this is Megan Carl. Are you there? Oh my God. You will not believe the timing <laughs> of this. I'm so glad you called. Mandy! <laughs> I've just been talking to Laura Crawshaw. Oh my gosh. Portland, my Portland yeah, friend, yeah, the boss whisperer. friend, indeed. Yes. And we were talking about what I've called this kind of boiling the frog effect. Was that your experience at Nike as well? For sure. Um, it's interesting because I actually use the boiling the frog effect in my book because it is it, it can be so gradual. And I think part of what happens is when you're targeted, your standard for how people operate, your etiquette, your protocols, your just your expectations start to take a hit. So for example, if I'm you know, brand new to a team and I've joined the first meeting where I should be introduced to that team, perhaps the abrasive boss chooses not to introduce me and therefore makes me invisible. What is that? My upbringing would say, well, you always introduce, you know, introductions are important. They tell us they make connection. 
but so you, you, these markers start to happen. Gosh, I didn't get introduced in that meeting. And now, you know, my, my name is mis mispronounced all the time. Now I'm being talked over all the time. Now there's a phone is ringing while I'm presenting. Now I'm being yelled at now. And there's all these little, there's kind of these, as I would say, markers that I think are your, they're your, your pathway to what's going on, but you don't necessarily know it as it's happening. And, but the thing about those slights, they're additive, you know, it's an additive hit or an additive effect that starts to happen. And then you start to go, well, I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe introducing people isn't that big of a deal. And, you know, maybe, maybe yelling or, you know, disrupting or diminishing uh, you know, maybe that's, gosh, that seems to be what's working. And so you just, it all gets very confusing. And it's not as simple as just quitting either, because not only is that impossible for many people, but there's something also about this overachiever, high achiever, perfectionist type of person where quitting can feel like failing, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think, gosh, I've interviewed, you know, multiple, multiple people and that theme comes up every single conversation because if I quit, if I walk away, then, then I am a quitter. I am a loser. And ultimately I am, I have failed. The other side of that is obviously then, then, and I hear this all the time, Andy is just I can't let the bully win. And even, even friends of targets, you know, you got to suck it up. You can't let the bully win. You leave the bully wins. And so it just is this, this weight of, I've got to be the definition of, of winning that I have prescribed to for so long. And we need a new definition of what, mm. what the actual win is because to stay can be acquiescing to a system that wasn't built to support us and can be acquiescing to mistreatment uh, and therefore just complete loss of our own self and our own value. And so perhaps the win is in walking away. With my own coaching clients, I hear a lot of, well, that's just how finance is. It's the industry or that's what they pay you for. The industry's full of boss holes and jerks. Well, that's certainly what I thought during my investment banking career. I checked back in with Laura to see whether this is a common belief that she's seen in her extensive experience of interviewing people who've worked for abrasive bosses. Because for the overachievers and those with proving tendencies, this is where the danger of burnout and mental health challenges can set in. Let's see what Laura has to say. I think there's this belief that I, I should be able to handle this. And to not deal with this means I'm weak. I should be able to handle this. I'm an adult. I'm in the workplace. You know, yes, she's she's making, you know, the nasty comments, uh, public nasty comments about me or undermining me or whatever, but I should be able to handle it. And that's, if you think about that concept of, if we're attacked in the street, the concept of, well, I should be able to handle that. You know, I, I shouldn't be physically injured and I shouldn't be psychologically injured by that. I should just bounce right up and move right along. And I'm weak if I don't. I think we have a tolerance for assault 
in the in the non-work world, um, you know, we have an acceptance that it's traumatic, and we shouldn't have to just you know uh, bounce back or tolerate it. Uh, but when it comes to work, there's that sense of I should be able to to handle this. Something that came to mind as you were talking too is the idea of if I back down, even if my reasons are legit. If I back down, it feels like not only that I've failed, but there's an added icing of insidiousness on this cake. It's that you've won. You've defeated me and I have buckled under the pressure. And then there's, I think, a third element that you brought up, which is if I survive, there may be some wonderful reward. If I survive, he's telling me I'll get this position if I just hang in or I'll be running that operation or these benefits will accrue. So sometimes this carrot, this gilded carrot is dangled um, and we want that carrot. We've worked long and hard and now we've not only worked long and hard, we've suffered for it. So we're going to hang in there and and do what it takes to to get whatever that, that reward is. to discover, unfortunately, that rarely do those rewards come because the person's treating you that way because they perceive you as a threat. I think that's so important to understand. Not that you're doing bad things or intentionally threatening them, but they might think that you're too competent. And as a result, you're a threat to me. You know, you could do that job better, or you know more than I, or you're more intelligent. And so if they're promising that they're going to put you in some exalted position, I don't think so, because to them, you're a threat. I'm going to keep you under control and I'm going to keep you, um, you know, on edge on pins and needles. And it's important you understand that you're deficient and I'm superior, you know, (laughs) those, those kind of dramas. And, and there's not a big pot of gold at the end of that one. So Megan Carl is still on the line with me and Laura is about to share what someone can do if they're feeling ground down by a boss's abrasive behavior. So maybe there are all these microaggressions that Megan was talking about not being introduced or somebody saying, why didn't you pick up my texts last night? They may have been at 2 a.m., but why did you not pick them up? Or maybe this person is starting to doubt their own sanity because there's some gaslighting going on. So I bet, Megan, I bet you wish you had a Dr. Laura back in the day. Oh my God, do I ever. And in fact, part of what I've been able to get to in hindsight is I wish I had determined some moves that I could have made. And that in no way means that I in any way am the reason I got bullied or that I have anything to do with having been bullied. It wasn't my fault that I was bullied. And I hope everybody who listens to this understands that it's not about you, it's about the bully. Um, that said, if you know the play, so for example, with, with this particular bully, you know, okay, every time I, I have an opportunity to be with this individual, the, the chances that I am going to be bullied by this person are high. So, what's, so what are my moves? Because you know the play. So pick a move. Are you going to ignore the bully? Are you going to resist? Are you going to comply? Are you going to enlist the support of others? And so I think having some of those plays at you know your, your arsenal 
uh, of plays in your toolbox, I, I would have been helpful for me. Mm, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It was really fun to chat with you and amazing timing on that phone call. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, Mandy. Tell Laura hi for me. I will. Let's get back to Laura. I don't coach what we call targets of workplace bullying. I coach the abrasive leaders to stop behaving badly, but um, I've talked. So we're going off awful... piece today. Thank That's, you. I, Thank I, you I can handle that. it. I can. <laughs> you're, you're pushing me, Mandy, but I will go off piece, right? Um, the first step is awareness. Number one, I am not being treated respectfully. That's the first step. The second step, I think, is why? Why is that occurring? All right. So I think there's great benefit. Is it me or is it them? <laughs> and what you will find, um, it, I put together a website for targets, if I can mention that. It's called whisperingfortheworkingwounded.org. And so the first step is to understand I'm not being treated just respectfully. I mean, I don't need to have be kissed and, you know, revered and uh, bonused every minute, but I'm not being treated uh, respectfully. The second is why is it what's going on here? And that's when we have to engage in some self-talk saying, I am capable of doing this. I do not need to be micromanaged. It is not acceptable to you know, humiliate me in a meeting. If you have an issue with me, you know, you should pull me aside and bring that. So all of those various abrasive behaviors. And then the third step is really part of that awareness is, would I want my spouse, sibling, friend to be treated this way? So you depersonalize it somewhat and say, would I want my you know, child, spouse, sibling, partner to be treated this way? And if the answer is absolutely not, that's kind of the baseline. This is unacceptable to me. Now, once you get to that point, the question is, so what do you do about it? All right. So this is not acceptable. And in that uh, whisperingfortheworkingwounded.org, I put a chapter from my book, Taming the Abrasive Manager. And the chapter is called Risky Business, because in interviewing thousands of coworkers uh, or, or targets, people who've suffered, uh, most of them recounted their suffering. But a few would say, well, he doesn't do that to Bob. Or she doesn't do that to Mary. And I would go, why not? And then I'd en end up interviewing the Bobs and the Marys. And they would tell me, no, he does that to others, but he doesn't do it to me. And I'd say, why not? And that chapter, I'm not going to go into detail here, but there are, there are risky strategies that occasionally can work when one is being mistreated. The lowest level is to essentially reassure your anxious boss that I care, you don't have to get upset, and I saw the text and I'm working on it. You reassure them, you try and bring down their anxieties. That will work on occasion, but not if, not if you have an extremely uh, anxious, insecure boss. The next levels of, of response were to, to just basically um, do kind of a reverse threat display, which is to say, look, um, you know, you're yelling at me. My father yelled at me and I decided when I grew up, I wasn't going to let anybody yell at me. You need to know that. And what you're doing is by you're letting the person know how they're behaving, that it's so distressing. And the sad news is most abrasive leaders have no clue 
of what they're doing and saying that causes distress. Uh, it's really quite shocking. Um, so just to, for example, you know, they'll get feedback that says he will point out people's errors in front of everybody and public humiliation. And so I'll say to my client, tell me what this is about. And he says, that's not my intent. What's your intent? My intent is to educate everybody at the same time about the mistakes that Fred made. <laughs> Clueless. All right. But I digress. So the first is to understand, you know, this is not acceptable. And then what am I going to do about it? And it's called standing up for yourself. It's, it's getting the support of those you love. Certainly there are steps you can take to document, et cetera, et cetera. So the first steps are you might try certain, certain things with the individual. If that's not the case, then your other option is to go to the organization and say, look, I'm not being treated acceptably and not to go in uh, all upset and vitriolic or whatever, uh, but to go in and raise their anxiety level. Are you aware that Bob is saying these things not only to me, but to other people? And, you know, my thought is that Bob might really benefit from some coaching because other people feel he is very abrasive. I've heard people use the term hostile environment, etc. That's where you're informing. The most effective strategy was what I call the mass media. Mutiny. And that's when a number of people would go into the organization, the employer at the same time and say, this is not acceptable. We cannot tolerate working this way. Um, so, so those are some strategies. But ultimately, um, you know, you, you talked about this. What was it? It's your prior interview, the Dead Mentor Society right? Which is if you're struggling to love yourself and support yourself and take good care of yourself because you're so distraught, then to look to those who've loved you and, uh, you know, who have faith in you and say, hey, listen to what they would say to you. And they would probably say things like, you don't deserve to be treated this way. You, you know, you, you have one life to live, you deserve to be happy. There are places where people will value you and you need to put yourself in those environments. You need, you come first and uh, you need to become your own uh, caretaker. And I, I think that that was that the term surgical empathy that, that was used before? You need to have tremendous empathy for yourself and let go of all this. I need to be perfect. I need to be right. There's something wrong with me and taking it all personally. No, you're not being treated, treated acceptably. And uh, as you exit the organization, if you decide that's what you need to do, you can come forward. And in your exit interview, or even before, you can come forward and say, I'm thinking of leaving because of this. And the employer may respond uh, and, and uh, take action, or they may not. But at least you know that you spoke up. I'm not recommending you do that in all instances, but the, it boils down to, you know, loving and caring for oneself and not allowing oneself to be subjected to unacceptable behavior. I ask every guest to leave a brick of wisdom for listeners. And it could be a quote, it could be a mantra, it could be a parting thought, it could be an insight that's jiggled loose, but at this stage of the journey, where we've taken listeners that thus far, what's one thing that you would like to leave with them? Well, to quote Freud again, he said the, the two most powerful aspects of life are love and work. 
that's what makes life rich. If we have love and if we have work that incidentally we love. And as we try and pursue healthy relationships and we protect ourselves so that we do end up with the right person or people in our lives, we need to do that with work as well. We need to make sure that we're putting ourselves in a place uh, that is fulfilling and joyful uh, instead of horrible, demeaning and denigrating. I hope this episode has provoked your thinking. That was the objective because it's so easy to drift and to rationalize and to think maybe it's not so bad. It's not any better anywhere else. Everybody else is experiencing the same phenomena. That can mean that we don't actually see how far we've drifted from what would be a healthy, non-toxic workplace. So I'm really, really hoping that this episode has made you stop and think could I be working for an abrasive boss? And I hope it's given you some ideas on how you can protect yourself. Laura and Megan's details are in the show notes on my website at mandyletto.com. And if somebody came to mind who's having a tough time at work, I'd be so grateful if you shared this episode and threw them a life ring. It might be really helpful to them. And if you're getting huge value from the show, which I hope you are, I'd also be grateful if you'd head over to Apple and leave me a review on the podcast. That would be fab. Thank you as ever for listening. Let's do this all again in two weeks.